0: Hey, everyone, on today's episode of Noon, get ready for a unique and inspiring conversation with Catherine. Her episode stands out as she brings a different perspective and exceptional mission to our show. Catherine is dedicated to changing the lives of first responders and their families through Restoration Ranch in Colorado, a remarkable initiative that works towards healing. Her passion and commitment to this cause promise an enlightening discussion that sheds light on a vital yet often overlooked aspect of our community. Join us for the special episode as Catherine shares the incredible journey, the profound impact the Restoration Ranch has had on her and the lengths she took to get it, as well as the transformative experiences of those it serves. This is an episode that will touch your heart and leave you wanting more. Let's get started. This episode is brought to you by the 505 Central Food Hall, Albuquerque's urban food hall, which offers nine local vendors under one roof. Whether you're craving spicy hot chicken, authentic Mexican street tacos, juicy burgers and fries, comforting Japanese ramen, fresh vegetarian dishes, Detroit-style pizza, or gourmet sandwiches, you'll find it here. Alternatively, if you're just looking for somewhere to grab drinks downtown, Packies and the Moonwalk Bar offer a variety of local beer, wine, and cocktails. But the fun doesn't stop with the food and drinks. Bands of Enchantment is being hosted at the Kimo Theater from September 15th to September 25th. Be sure to stop by the 505 Central Food Hall every night for pre-filming performances from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. To stay up to date with all the special events taking place at the 505 Central Food Hall, such as Albuquerque Art Walk, live musical performances, the All Sick Drag Brunch, and many more, follow them on Instagram at 505 Central. That's a wrap for today's noon shoutout. Make sure you visit the 505 Central Food Hall because life is too short for bland meals and boring evenings. Thanks for tuning in, and remember, Albuquerque's flavors and entertainment await you, located in the heart of downtown Albuquerque at 5th and Central. All right, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us on the Noon Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. I'm really looking forward to this. Yes, I saw your article in the Denver Post and I had to reach out to you because you're offering something that not a lot of people are offering. So before we get into that, can you go ahead and give me an introduction of yourself? Sure. I'm Catherine Severns Avery. I am the
1: founder and executive director of Restoration Ranch Colorado and of our Valor Vacations program. And basically what we do is provide respite and relaxation, reflection opportunities for what we call the traumatic event life cycle. So dispatch, fire and EMS, law enforcement, emergency department personnel, victims advocates, members of the judiciary and their families. Wow, what a mouthful. It is, (laughs) try saying that after a couple of tequilas, not a good idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure that is hard. <laughs> what a cool what a cool thing. What What got you into that? Uh, literally an accident. Um, on December
1: 4th of 2020, right in the middle of COVID, my husband Chris, who is a civilian, I am a civilian, were getting ready to hunker down for another COVID lockdown. and we placed a grocery order that Chris was on his way to go pick up. When three robbery suspects who were fleeing from Lakewood, Colorado police, ran a red light, t-boned Chris's car, pushed it 30 yards down a side street. Chris bled out and died at the scene. I had wow, yeah, I mean that it, it's just still really hard to to think about that, um, and the the truth of life changes in a moment. Prior to that, Sam, I'd had no experience with first responders other than a couple of really well-deserved speeding tickets, but that day, you know, the way the notification team handled everything, the follow-up with the Lakewood Police Department, how they checked on me, did things for me. really, really just changed everything I knew about first responders. So when Chris was killed, I was really appalled by the number of people in my community who were asking me, are you going to sue the Lakewood Police Department? And my response was, why would I do that? They were doing their job. And I was like, yeah, but there was a high speed chase. Yes. Which they called off when circumstances got dangerous. And I think the department was waiting with bated breath to see what my response was going to be. So rather than become litigious, rather than be angry, I was approached by local media for pictures of Chris, because they wanted to do a follow-up. And I said, I will be happy to send these, but I'm sending them with a letter. And I want to know that you read the letter before I send these pictures. And in the letter, I talked about how every choice has a consequence and how everything could have been different if Chris had hesitated at the intersection or the robbers had slowed down by a nanosecond. Chris would still be alive. He could be seriously injured, but he would still be alive. Everything that happened was what led to the culmination of those events. So I had a choice to make. What was I going to do? Was I going to become old and bitter? No, that's not my nature. I wanted to dig in and learn more about what first responders did. So to give you an example, Chris and I had been in the process of remodeling this house. We were supposed to see the drywall for the very first time the day that Chris was killed. And my dad, who was in his mid-90s, and had dementia, had been living with us. But when COVID started, we actually were able to buy a house three doors down from us and basically create his own COVID-free memory care facility for one. (laughs) And so we were very fortunate that, you know, that gave us the opportunity to start the renovation on the house. Well, after Chris was killed, I just couldn't stand to be here. It was like, there were just too many ghosts and memories. So I moved in with my dad. It's Christmas morning I'm in the shower at my dad's house, and his caretaker comes and knocks on the door. And she's like, I'm really sorry to bother you, but there's a Lakewood police officer at your front door. And of course, my heart went in my throat. I was like, okay, now what? And I said, I'm in the shower. She says, yeah, he says he'll wait. And then like, you know, the uh, the rapid heartbeat happens. So I, you know, throw on clothes, my hair's soaking wet. I Fly to the front door. I opened the front door and Sam, what I saw almost brought me to my knees. Parked in front of my dad's house are six Lakewood PD cruisers with their lights on and guys standing at parade rest. I lost it. I, I, I lost it. And I thought, wow, this is a different set of circumstances. This is not normal. So many of the people who were there had been on scene with Chris and the night before Christmas Eve, my best friend had given me a picture of Chris taken. He's sleeping. He's holding our cat in a really awkward you know, contorted position. The cat's kind of doing a, uh, you know, and <laughs> I ran inside and I got that picture and I brought it out and I said, This is how I want you to remember my husband, not what you saw on December 4th. And every one of them took a picture of the picture of Chris. So it gave them something different to think about. So that's a very long winded answer to your question of how did I get started with this? But it goes on from there. Um, Again, I didn't know what I didn't know because I was one of the blissfully uneducated 95% of the population that really has no idea until you have a tragedy, what the interactions are like. So I didn't know that you don't invite the people who are involved in your case to come to every hearing. They did. I didn't know that you don't offer to like bring food from Chris's favorite restaurants on his birthday to offer roll calls. I did, you know, I just, I kept in touch with people and what I didn't realize. And again, what you know very well is God, if you did that with every single person that you interacted with, nothing would get done, no. <laughs> but, but for some reason there was just this bond that was formed. I mean, I know about trauma bonding, but it was just like, this was unique and this was special. So on April 26th and 2021, which would have been Chris's birthday, I brought food to all four roll calls at Lakewood PD from Chris's favorite restaurants. And it was funny because, you know, the day before I call command staff and I'm like, okay, where do I show up with the food and when? And they're like, oh, you're really going to do this? I was like, yes, (laughs) you know, because I mean, I guess the number of people that kind of blow smoke is um, overwhelming (laughs) sometimes. So I show up with the food, and the day before, a 14-year-old boy has stabbed his mother through the, you know, 30 times, including through the skull, and the agent first on scene is there in roll call talking in unfiltered and uncensored language about what happened. And the only question going through my mind is, why is he at work? And so when I had the opportunity to ask that of command staff, I was told, "Well, he doesn't want to sit at home and think about this all by himself. He may or may not want or need mental health counseling at this time, and there's no other place for him to go." And I thought, "That is so wrong." And that kind of got my me thinking, my brain, you know, twitterpating about, "Okay, what can I do?" So there were three defendants, three trials. Chris and I owned a vacation property in Maine. And I was not able to get up there because I was involved in so many legal proceedings and hearings and motions and continuances. And again, all these things I had no experience with. So I called the Lakewood PD HR department and said, how do I donate time at my vacation property to your agents? And the response was, I have no idea, no one's ever asked us that question before. (laughs) So to make a long story longer, it turned out that I couldn't do a direct donation. That was a bribe, that would put me in jail. It had to be handled through the FOP. Um, The chief decided that he didn't want it to go to someone in Lakewood in case that would have any bearing on any of the judicial proceedings versus cases. So we passed it on to West Metro Fire and a West Metro firefighting family went up and had that time of their lives at my house. So that started me thinking, okay, what else can I do? So when I had met with the FOP rep about how do we handle, you know, this thing, and and literally his first words to me in our conversation was, What do you want? And I was like, What do you mean, what do I want? He's like, What do you want? I was like, I don't want anything other than to say, thank you. He's like, you have to want something. And I'm sitting there thinking, whoa, this is a little harsh. And, but I've come to understand in the almost three years since Chris was killed, most first responders are highly suspicious and skeptical people. (laughs) And if I had five bucks for every time I heard that my foundation would be fully funded in perpetuity. I mean, it was like, I wouldn't need to do fundraising. It's like, (laughs) hand over your five bucks for saying that. So, and if you call me, ma'am, that's 10, you know, I mean, that was, that's a great fundraising tactic. So, but um, basically that started, what is now known as our Valor Vacations program. But in this conversation, I said, I want to buy a ranch and he looked at me and said you want to do what and i said i want to buy a ranch and create a property where first responders can go for respite and he like i would you would just watch his brain like start to explode like you want to do what so that started the conversation with the lakewood pd um my husband died in december my dad unfortunately died the following march so i lost two people back to back really close. But another part of the story that I won't go into is like, I have a lot of experience with losing family members. I'm the only surviving member of my family. So when people say you handle grief really well, I've had way too much experience. But going back and talking to the the command staff about how to do this, I first started looking for a ranch up in the Estes Park area, and the reason I mentioned my dad's demise was Chris and I had no children, my father left me an inheritance, and that is what I used to buy the ranch and to start the 501c3 for this organization. Because truly, I could not be with Chris when he took his last breaths. And this is my way of saying thank you to what I call my first responder angels who were with him that I know did their very best to save his life and couldn't, you know. Um, So bought the ranch, that's another weird story. How much of a break do you need? I mean, I'm kind of like fire hosing you, I hope. No,
0: please keep going, explain it, I love it.
1: Well, the the number of serendipitous events that have happened around the founding of Restoration Ranch Colorado as a nonprofit and everything that has unfolded since our forming in 2021, it's almost like surreal. So I go up to the Estes Park area because my family has a history up there. And all the billionaires in Aspen have pushed out all the millionaires who have bought up basically everything that's available in Estes Park, you know? So it's like, okay, can't afford that. And I thought, you know, the right and perfect property will show up. Well, one of the things I have done to earn a living is I'm a home stager and designer. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I woke up and it was like, oh my God, what about that ranch that you staged for sale six years ago? So the next morning I contact the realtor and said, whatever happened to the ranch you had me stage? And she said, we pulled it off the market because nobody knew what to do with it. And I said, I'm buying it. And she's like, what? I said, I'm buying it. And then I told her why I wanted to buy it. Well, she bursts into tears and I'm like, oh my God, what? And she said, you don't know this, but my husband is an ex-police chief and what you are proposing to create does not exist and is desperately needed so I was like okay so we go to meet the ranch owner Bert sweet sweet man in his early 80s I tell him what I want to do and he's kind of like arms folded across his chest and I'm like this is not going well So he's like, you haven't even seen the property yet. I'm like, yeah, I know, I only looked at your house. He's like, well, you need to see the property. So he takes me up to a meadow that we now call Moose Meadow because there's moose scat everywhere up there. And I literally get up there and start weeping. It is so beautiful. And I looked at Bert and I said, I understand why you don't want to sell. This would be incredibly hard to leave. And he's like, yep. <laughs> so then he takes me down to Aspen Meadow, which has hundred year old Aspen trees in a perfect ring. I mean, it's just like idyllic. It really is. So we get back to the to the ranch and he's like, go get your ducks in a row. So I'm like, okay. So on September 11th of 2021, he agreed to sell me the property. On November 11th, we signed the contract, so that was Veterans Day. I purchased the con- the ranch on March 4th of 2022. Renovation started March 5th. Our doors were open August 3rd. So we're a little more than a year old, and we are going like gangbusters. So we had more than 180 people come and visit the ranch in 2020. 20- 22. We're on track to surpass that because we kind of kept the ranch under wraps, A, to get our feet under the ground, B, to get the renovation done, and C, to kind of test the concept, which led to a whole new discovery, which you will know lots about. So literally a year ago, I'm like, did I make a million dollar mistake because nobody was coming to the ranch? And I was like, What the hell? So I started doing some digging, and I found out it wasn't that people didn't want to come. The the staffing levels were so low, and people were stretched so thin they couldn't come. Well, that just pissed me off. (laughs) So, um, and as you'll discover, when I get pissed off, man, get out of my way. So I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I can tell. How do we... <laughs> exactly. How, okay. How do I tackle this problem? So, again, I go in and I talk with my advisory panel and I get all the standard blah, 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 blah answers. And it was like, okay, you have no idea how to solve this problem. So, one of my board members is the former Deputy Director of Public Safety for the State of Colorado. I said, you need to put me in touch with your old boss. And so I had a conversation with director Stan Hilke and said, I wanna tackle recruiting and retention in the state of Colorado using health and wellness as a recruiting platform. And he looked at me and he said, Catherine, if you can figure out the secret sauce of how to do that, go for it. I went for it. And that was what led to the formation of what we call Colorado Puts First Responders First. It's a series of initiatives through the nonprofit that basically municipalities get bogged down in the red tape and all the other political, you know, gamesmanship that happens when you're trying to do really big, massive projects. So we launched in a tiny little town of estes park wonder why we went there (laughs) yeah not only is it beautiful but the new police chief there was someone who heard me speak at a conference and literally came up to me and said whatever you need you let me know and i was like i need you to help me do a pilot program so we can see if this concept works so the things that we're focusing on are a healthy grab-and-go meal program particularly for graveyard shifts because there ain't nothing healthy on the street at 3 a.m there is nothing (laughs) right and then not only for graves but like even for day shifts if you can take 20 minutes that you would normally be foraging for food and go walk and drop your cortisol level that's really going to help with your long-term health and wellness so that's one of the initiatives the other initiative is to create regional child care facilities for people who are working odd hours, like, you know, hello, it's three in the morning, I gotta go find somebody to take care of my kid because I'm gonna be here for another eight hours. Again, the public has no idea. You're like, you know, 911 fairies, you just kind of show up and do it and we have no idea how how you do this. It's just magic, you know, it was like we call three numbers and poof, you're there. Um. But we have no idea of the stresses that this places on our first responders. So I'm like, yeah, let us kind of shoulder some of that load. Then the other thing I want to do is to create basically an American Ninja Warrior style gym where you can actually go and train for jumping over walls and climbing weird structures, (laughs) you know, Um, rather than, oh, I get to walk on the treadmill and lift my weights, you know, that's really going to help me. I mean, it's better than nothing, but it's not practical. (laughs) So this is kind of where we're like, yeah, we think way outside of the box. And then, of course, we need to be able to have housing assistance. Colorado has become ridiculously expensive place to live and so if we do so if you do a housing incentive program through a department uh, to bring in new recruits that builds resentment because it's like I've been working here for 25 years you did squat for me but you're bringing in Susie from out of state and you're gonna give her a 15,000 housing allowance yeah no so we thought, well, let us run it through the 501c3 and that takes that out of the equation. It's not something that the agency is doing. It's a nonprofit is figuring out how to provide that housing assistance through vouchers, through grants, through donations to be able to bring people to the state to help alleviate the shortages. So we do things really differently. We're we're not your typical five hundred one c three. One of the other things that's really weird about us is our funding. So my background is in advertising, marketing, and PR. In addition to doing design and staging wow. work, for I worked for yeah I worked for years in public relations in New York City, and just you know I, I, I got the, the the ability to look at something as a marketing problem and go I can solve that for you. So we are actively collaborating with businesses who want to market products and services to the 911 community to say, we will help open up those markets to you or to enhance your market presence. And then we would like to have part of your revenue in response for that. So it's a great way to kind of sit there and leverage what we're doing as outsiders. And so, this is something where um, my design thing, I have 40 acres of wood of all kinds. So, what are we doing when we're felling the trees? We're curing them and we are turning those into a furniture line that we market through a for profit called RRC Decor and More. And, you know, Mother Nature is an incredible artisan. We found that our pine logs that we felled and then cut when I was in Montana visiting a friend, I went to a furniture store with her and they're what they're calling accent stumps. And I mean, literally, it's just a stump that they, you know, lacquered and it's pretty, but it's got nothing on it. And I was like, I have these really intricate beetle patterns under the bark that I clean out and then fill with gold leaf. And we sell our accent stumps for $750 because they are <laughs> works of art. Yes. So they are one of a kind, unique. Um, we partnered with a brewery in Estes Park called Lumpy Ridge. They have renamed one of their beers and we had a beer naming contest. The names people came up, well, <laughs> they were hysterical. But the winner was Lights and Sirens Lager. And so we now have a Lights and Sirens Lager brew that, you know, again, we're getting revenue from beer sales. So, we think very strategically. We think very collaboratively because there just aren't enough ways to help the first responder community, in my estimation. So, the more that we can do to reach out to people. And then there's the Valor Vacations program, which, unlike the ranch, you don't have to be nominated to come visit the ranch. You simply Email us if you're in the state of Colorado. We're not well, we're we're just over the border in Wyoming and we might go just over the border in New Mexico um, to offer it to people. But you tell us you want to come, we find a date for you. There is no charge to stay at the ranch. So yeah, I mean that we're we're doing this to give back. And then the Valor Vacations program, we ask agencies to set up a nominating committee. That's only to stop people from nominating themselves. (laughs) We're like, yeah, that would not be so good. So, uh, And then we have an impartial selection committee that has three ex-police chiefs, the current head of the Colorado Fire Service, and the former head of Colorado 911, and myself as the people who award the vacations. This year, we will be giving away eight weeks of time at vacation rental properties that have been donated to, Rest- to Restoration Ranch and yeah. our Valor Vacations Program. My goal is to do 100 next year, 500 shortly after that. And what we are doing and creating now is basically a Airbnb, VRBO style website. That is strictly for first responders and their families. So you will be able to get discounted vacations through our not through the Valor Vacations program as we build up the donations of those vacation rental properties, but still making sure that we give away those to people who deserve it. And the nominating criteria are compassionate use, meritorious service post-traumatic or work-related stress, families of fallen first responders. So it's like we have a lovely, inclusive nominating process. We've given away seven vacations already. We have 11 more to go. So, you know, we're really excited that people in the state of Colorado can benefit from this program. So, like I said, I don't think like most normal
0: people, but I think that's a good thing. So I agree that wow, you're doing a lot. You are doing a lot, and that is amazing. I can't wait to see what we can do to expand that.
1: Me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, What are some of your thoughts? <laughs> oh, girl, we could talk for days, for days and days. Yeah. Um, so what is the criteria for your ranch? So basically, like I said, if you are
1: anyone in the traumatic event life cycle, And the people that we have included that nobody else has thought to include are members of the judiciary. When you think about judges and the crap that they have to listen to every day and the exhibits that they have to look through, I mean, I'm like, vicarious trauma is real. And that's one of the things that um, I know about PTSD. It happened that in one of my jobs, I won't tell you how long ago, it was a while ago, but I was actually living in Belfast, Northern Ireland at the height of the troubles. And so when the IRA blew up 2,000 pounds of gelignite in a van across the street from my office, I developed PTSD and didn't know that I had it. Wow. So, yeah. So I came back to the United States, I was living in New York and had to take the subway to get to my office in Manhattan. And every time the doors would close, I'd have a panic attack. And it was like, i it was just all I could do to not scream my guts out and get off at the next stop. And I had no idea what was happening because in the, in the 80s, we didn't really understand PTSD didn't know what it was. I just knew that my body thought I was dying and I didn't know what to do. So I ended up taking a month off of work and went and spent time with my family that lived outside of New York City and just kind of like got to the point where I was like, okay, I I think I can handle this. No, (laughs) you know, um, but was fortunate over time, you know, to do therapy, Uh, to be able to really like start to get to the heart of, okay, you know, your brain is a miraculous thing. It comes up with ways to protect us. And some of them make us think that we're dying, but you know, that's just (laughs) the reptilian brain going, okay, I'm freaking out here, I don't know what to do. So to have done EMDR, to have done brain spotting, when people talk about those types of therapy and tapping and everything else, I speak that lingo because I do that lingo because I still get triggered. And it's important for people to understand that there are many tools that are out there. There are many tools that are basically incognito tools. People don't know that you're doing that. Like They don't know what's on my my playlist. And if I'm listening to brain spotting music to calm my vagal nervous system down, nobody has to know that, but I do you know so again uh, this this whole concept and and it varies from agency to agency but there's still a lot of suck it up buttercup this is just part of the job mentality out there that has to change and that's a cultural shift and that is something that i can't do anything about that other than to say just walking in nature at the ranch will change the way you feel, everything from the sensory inputs, just taking the time because you're breathing heavy at 8,200 feet, which is where we are. Um, you've got to be able to know you know, that, okay, I am integrating without knowing that I'm integrating. So we're, we're excited about what we're able to offer up there. We are not a mental health facility, I will be very clear about that. There are incredible professionals out there, and we'd love to partner with them and collaborate with them. But this is really just about come up and hang out on 40 acres. You are the only person who is there when you have time at Restoration Ranch Colorado, with the exception of the caretakers that have to be there. So, um, yeah. It's an unusual experience to have forty acres all to yourself because even when you're going camping, you know you have to worry about the guy in the campsite next door who at two am decides that that's a great time to be drunk and start screaming. Um yeah, no, <laughs> we don't do that.
0: <laughs> so what are some of the services that the the ranch offers?
1: So one of the things we're super, super, super excited about, and I love um telling people, yeah, not quite. So I read an article in Psychology Today about the importance of vacations for first responders. And at the end of the article, it said, to the author's knowledge, there were no programs for teens of law enforcement or other first responder agencies specifically for them. And I was like, well, that's wrong because we do that. So we had our first teen day camp For children of of first responders at Restoration Ranch. It was facilitated, facilitated by a trauma informed therapist who specializes in working with kids. And it was such a huge success. We have another one coming up on September 16th. What I'm excited about is that Lodge 21 of the Lakewood PD FOP funded that one. So anybody in law enforcement that wants to come to our camp. You're paid for it's limited number of campers simply because we want really to be able to interact and build those links because as we all know it's hard enough to be a teenager in today's social media driven world it's even harder when you're the daughter or son of a first responder and it's like yeah it's a pressure cooker so we're trying to give them access to not only a therapist who can help them sort out their feelings which is not required it's optional everything that you do at the ranch is driven by what you need not what we think is best for you but we want them to have interaction with other kids that they may not know because they share that common bond of oh your your mom does that my dad does that too that's really weird you know to just understand that, like, it's not normal to be in a restaurant and hear the code word and know that means we just got to walk right through the restaurant and turn around and go out because there's somebody in there that cannot know that we're there. I mean, I didn't think about this
0: stuff. I didn't either. And my dad was a police officer for as long as I can remember. And that's not even something I had thought about or tackled up until right now when you brought it up. What a great idea. Yeah, yeah.
1: So again, my goal for Restoration Ranch Colorado is to have a facility in every state in the United States. We are definitely looking to collaborate with other places like us um, to be able to provide basically the structure and to have them come under our umbrella because we do do a really good job of getting the word out and and publicizing what we're doing. Um, But, you know, don't get us wrong. We're not pretending that we fully understand or grasp everything that is needed by first responders, but we are willing to be a mouthpiece. As we, as I like to say, I like to educate, advocate, and agitate on behalf of first responders. <laughs> and I, I do a lot of agitating because again, I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. And the more I learn, the more I get um motivated. That's the right word. I get motivated because if I had come home that night, actually, I never really went out. I kept on thinking Chris was going to come home on December 4th. And after two hours and him not answering texts and phone calls, I was like, he's dead. He's definitely dead because if he wasn't, I would kill him when he came home because it's like, you don't, you don't go for two hours when you're just going to the grocery store, you know, to, to pick them up and then not do that. And it was about four o'clock in the afternoon that I thought I really need to go, just go to where, to where he was picking up the groceries and peruse the parking lot. My husband was a big man. He could have had a medical emergency and I wouldn't know that. So, but Um, Then when I went to actually go ask if he had picked up the groceries and I was told, no, he hadn't, then it was definitive. But that night, you know, the local news media had gotten surveillance footage from a convenience store on the corner of that intersection. And by the grace of God, I did not watch that or I would have watched my husband die on live TV. so, that was one of the things that I pointed out, having worked as a journalist, having worked in public relations. Yes, I understand for the immediacy of news coverage, but do you know what it does to a family when that's how they find out what happened? You have multiplied their trauma exponentially. And what i didn't understand why does it take so long you know when the boulder shooting happened at king supers and we lost a boulder police officer everybody's screaming for names of the victims like within 30 minutes and it's like now i understand which i didn't at the time you have to notify the next of kin first they don't want to find out on the news secondly you need to process that crime scene within an inch of its life to preserve the evidence to be able to prosecute the de- you know the defendants i didn't understand that either because of the length of the chase and where the the crash that killed chris occurred it took them almost 8 hours to process all of the different scenes so i didn't know that I just knew it was really late at night when my doorbell rang and there are four people there. And like the minute I opened the door, you know, that little voice inside my head said, you need to be sitting down. And so I walked over to our island in the kitchen and sat down and the first words out of my mouth were, is he dead? And they were like, yeah, he is. And we are so sorry. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So, and again, what I also didn't understand is like, when you are... I I refuse to use the word victim. I am not a victim. I am a survivor. I have survived my husband's tragedy. But when the team comes to notify you, again, I was so grateful because I had contacted some friends and said, something's really wrong. I think something's happened to Chris. One of them was a therapist who's my best friend, one of my best friends. She came literally like right behind the notification team into my house. For which i was so grateful because literally after the yes he's dead and we're so sorry it's just like you see in the movies everything is just like slow motion and words are wow wow and it's like it's not making sense because your brain is exploding trying to process what you have just heard so that was one call that was my experience think about the number of calls that first responders go to. And you've already learned how to desensitize yourself, but there are still calls that you go on that cut right through that clutter, wing you one more time, and they just build up. So knowing that we need additional mental health resources, knowing that we need additional places like Restoration Ranch Colorado and hopefully Restoration Ranch USA to be able to provide those places for people to go and to do what they need for self-care. And most importantly, to also give hints about what that self-care might look like. I think one of the things that has been really helpful for me having gone through this ordeal was the worst thing, anyone can do is say if you need anything let me know because you're putting the burden of figuring out what someone needs on someone who is in active grief so what i have learned to do is i have my here's what i can do checklist do you need me to go to the grocery store is there someone at the airport that needs to be picked up does your car have gas Do you need transportation to a doctor's appointment? What can I do to help you around the house? Do you need somebody to clean? I'll come fold laundry. Don't make them think. Say, this is what I'm willing to do. Check off what you need. And first responders need that too. It's not just people that have survived ordeals. You survive ordeals every day. So if the public could be aware of what is needed. The second thing that I've learned is do not under any circumstances, call you guys heroes. (laughs) I was like, Oh boy. And, and what people don't understand is again, they don't know what to say. So they hear what is typical. And what I came to understand is that when I call you a hero, I am expecting you to maintain a level of conduct that is unsustainable that is superhuman and that adds more to your burden it does not lessen it so when i wrote my blog post about don't call me a hero i i got a groundswell of response that was like you nailed it girlfriend do not call me a hero um and and you know it's it's I'd love to hear about your experience with people thanking you for what you do on the job, because again, we're really inept at it. And, you know, what would you want to hear if somebody wanted to acknowledge your service?
0: Honestly, just a thank you goes a really long way. I don't need, I don't need a long, this is amazing. What you do is amazing. You know, this is what I do and I get paid to do it, but I do it because I choose to do it, you know, and it's, It can be hard. It has its days. Like you've said, you've nailed so many of the things that we've talked about in so many episodes. I, I kind of wish you would have been my first interview. (laughs) You just, you. (laughs) you have knocked so many things out of the park today and it's, it's left me speechless. I mean, I can't, I cannot wait to move forward, hopefully with you and help you in getting something set up down here in New Mexico so that we can help the first responders down here. Absolutely, and that's the whole thing. I think that uh, what people fail to recognize is that
1: they look at the scope of what we have accomplished in a year. It's supernatural, but it is because as we have reached out, you know, when the door opens, we walk through it, we say, yes, we don't wait. Again, if I had to wait to have the money to purchase the ranch, I, we, we, we'd have this conversation a decade from now Yeah. because, you know, I used more than a million dollars of my inheritance to do this. So I re- I recognize that again, that makes me even more of a unicorn because it was like, I, yeah, I could be driving a Ferrari and I could be like vacationing <laughs> yes. all over the world. I would much rather be doing what I'm doing because I know the need is just so enormous, but it's not a large lift when you start doing things like, okay, what can I do? Have you thought about going to a city council meeting and talking about the needs of first responders and how your community is meeting them? Probably not, you know, Um, unless we're talking about raising your taxes and then you're going to go and bitch to high heaven. But to really start to understand the burdens that are on first responders. The statistic that sticks with me the most, keeps me up at night, and makes me get out of bed extra early in the morning, is that last year, more first responders died from suicide than died in the line of duty. When you look at the statistics, For example, if you're in law enforcement, I don't have 911 or fire statistics, but they're similar. If you're in law enforcement, you have your first heart attack at 42. The average age you are when you die is 57. Your exposure to fentanyl, other drugs and toxic chemicals often leads to chronic illness and your post-retirement survival rate is five years or less, in what other occupation
0: would those statistics be acceptable? Not one. No. Not one. No, and do you know why um, the post-reti, and this is purely speculation, do you know why the Uh post-retirement five-year survival rate is so prevalent? Sam, I'm so glad you asked me that, because one (laughs) of the other things that I am
1: is a retirement readiness specialist. Yes, please (laughs) let
0: us talk more.
1: Yeah, we will talk about this, and this is also another program that we're kicking off. In fact, one of the places I'm going this afternoon is to have a meeting with someone, but The reason that people die after retirement, when you have been burning the candle at both ends for decades, it's like all of a sudden, hello, I'm cut off from my community. I'm cut off from structure. I don't know who I am because I can no longer do what I used to do. That your body literally goes into freak out. And it's kind of like, I have no purpose. I have no reason to get up. The most horrifying statistic that, that I found when I was doing my book on retirement, which is called Your Countdown to Retirement, and it's strictly the non-financial aspects. I don't do financial planning, but looking at the research and the number of people who give up 40 hours of work for 40 hours of television watching, I'd wanna die too. You know, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> oh my God seriously. But it is about, we are hardwired for contribution. And if you're a first responder, that inside you is on steroids. You know, your whole reason for doing what you do, for the majority, I don't know anybody that's in it to get rich. Haven't met them. (laughs) them. Nobody. (laughs) Nobody. But the reason that you do it is you make a difference. And then all of a sudden, you have no way to do that. So what do you do? So we are starting a program, a mentoring program, and using the Your Countdown to Retirement platform, because particularly in law enforcement, I can't speak to fire or to to dispatch, but in law enforcement, like when you're out the door, it's like, don't let it hit you on the way out, and you do not go back. Yep. Yep. So that that whole structure, everything that you've been a part of, that being part of the team vanishes. And the institutional knowledge that is walking out with those people is priceless. And very few agencies are doing anything to capture that. In fact, most of them are, I don't need that because you ain't the chief anymore. I am, and I don't care what you. So we thought, well, let's take a program, again, using our nonprofit as the platform to be able to partner people who have retired from whatever emergency responder service they're part of with active people. And it does two things. It gives the retirees the ability to use that skillage. skillage? That's a great word. (laughs) Skill, knowledge, and experience. I want some
0: skillage. Thank you very much. I want some skillage. I'm, we're making that a it's new a word. <laughs> I love it. It'll be in the dictionary next yes. year. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but to use
1: those skills, experience, and knowledge that you have to mentor someone else who needs that outside of your department. Because how many times do we know that you tell somebody, somebody something that you think is in confidence? Or, you know, you're being vulnerable and the next thing you know, your dirty laundry is all over where everywhere you work. Yeah. Yeah. So let's not do that. Let's set it up so that you're being partnered with someone from a different agency than where you worked to be able to talk about the common issues among being a first responder. And, you know, I, I remember reading Kevin Gilmartin's book, and the words stuck with me, and and I, I'll bleep myself, but you know, at some point in time during your career, you're gonna be And you just have to prepare for that. And it's like, okay, then let's go with people who've been through that, helping those that are going to go through that, know how to navigate that. And I just think that, I mean, we're getting tremendous interest in this program and it will be up and running later this year. So um, just, you know, we're also starting to work with departments to offer the year countdown to retirement experience in preparation of that. Because what I learned, I loved my husband dearly. We had a 13 year remarkable marriage. I was wifey number three. Um, it was my first marriage. It was his third. And he used to say, I had two starter wives and then I got the one that I needed. Like, (laughs) you know, I mean, he was, he was just like, he was my cheerleader, my inspiration, my best friend, everything I could have asked for. And we had a marriage that was enviable, but when he retired we had more fights in the first three months of his retirement than we had in 13 years of he marriage yeah, and dissociated because it's like, I don't know who I am. I have nothing to do. And I just sat there and I thought, and you are spending so much time in my house <laughs> you now <laughs> you've been gone and now you're in my house. You know, it's like, Oh my God. And we always had this wonderful little interaction that I could tell when Chris was kind of like feeling um, not connected because he would come into the kitchen and tell me how to cut vegetables. That was his way of like, uh, yeah, I'm like not, not in a good space today. So I'm gonna tell you how to chop carrots. And I would look at him and say, Christopher, I have been chopping carrots for more than 40 years. I do not need to be told how to do it. So get out of the kitchen, go find something else to do. Because no, we are not going here. So again, but starting to understand that, okay, how do I create a new life? How do I find a passion and a purpose? And I think one of the saddest stories that's in my book is my uncle, who was a master woodcarver, told me about a friend he had who retired and thought, I'm going to go do woodworking. And so he started building birdhouses. And so everybody in his family and everybody in his neighborhood got a birdhouse. And then they got a second birdhouse. <laughs> and then they got a fifth birdhouse. <laughs> and it was like, and then they kept up, then, then the, I don't need a birdhouse started. So he started hanging them on the walls of his shop. And literally when he ran out of room, he died because mm-hmm. he had nothing else to do. Yeah. So we, yeah. we have to find that, whatever that is. And for first responders that have a heart for service to begin with, I know this great organization called Restoration Ranch Colorado that sure as hell could use your help. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, we have unfortunately, you know, even in the last couple of years, and I don't know how much you do on social media, but it's it's kind of disheartening to see how many of the the local service badges you see with the black line through them from people who've killed themselves post service, you know, just in retirement. Correct. And that was actually something I I had brought up a couple episodes ago where I would like to get something started where we help those those people who are retired in some form or fashion you know whether they want to do more with what they've done before if they want to start something new and we give them that platform or that opportunity to do it exactly exactly
1: and and one one of the things that i think is really really important as well is that covid did so much to destroy our sense of connectedness and community that we're rusty about how to engage with each other. And that's one of the beautiful things about Restoration Ranch Colorado. We have no hidden agenda. We have no religious affiliation. We have no political affiliation. Our only goal is to serve the needs of first responders, everyone in the traumatic event life cycle and their families. That was why when we saw the need for a team camp, we jumped on it. It's like, I'm not waiting until I have the money. I'm unique, maybe, in the respect that Chris used to say, you're the, (laughs) Chris was not a risk taker. You can tell I am. And Chris used to say, you're the one that jumps off the side of the mountain, but knows she can learn how to fly on the way down. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so when I see a need, it's like the money will show up because we have the structure and the ability and the business acumen to know these are the stats that you're going to want to know. You're going to want to know how many unique visits we had. You're going to want to know how many people were served by the programs that we're creating as though we were writing a grant, but we're not necessarily doing that. We're doing it as a marketing platform, which is unusual. But this is something where it's like, no, I mean, truly, I would give everything I have to have my husband back, but to have been so meticulously prepared for what I am doing throughout my lifetime, I am the embodiment of nothing in life is ever wasted. Everything I have done from the moment I was born to today has perfectly prepared me for the mission that I'm on. And I think that when you understand that, that's where people have disconnected and those that complete suicide, they're taking a permanent answer to a temporary problem. And you are in so much pain, you will do anything not to feel that. And so, um, you know, I, I am, not hesitant at all to say that in my 20s, I had suicidal ideation. I had lost my mom in a car accident after Karen Ann Quinlan. My mother is the second test case in the United States to have somebody taken off of life support. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what I was feeling. And I remember calling my sister, God love her and said, you know, I won't be here tomorrow. And oh, I'm going to, it's an emotional it okay. response. It still it resonates. Okay. And she had the presence of mind to say to me, I understand. I know you're in pain. But I want you to explain to my daughter what the time was to. She said, I want you to explain to my daughter before you do this why the one person that she loves more than anyone else on this earth will not be here tomorrow. And when you can make her understand why you're doing what you're doing and she's okay with that, go for it. Wow. I didn't do it. I mean it it jarred, I mean it was it was, you know, a two by four but it made me realize and i and again i'm not a suicide expert i have i have only my personal experience but i just knew i was in so much pain i didn't care i wanted out and i'm so grateful that i didn't do that i'm so grateful that i didn't even attempt it you know i mean i i had i had the plan but i just didn't implement it and i just sat there and i thought how many times Do we know people but not know them? And I think with first responders, you're particularly adept at hiding the pain and you are particularly adept at being insular and not interacting with people outside your agencies because there's that sense of camaraderie of like, you don't get me because you don't do what I do. Pain is universal. We all experience pain and we all have different methods of coping with it. So I may not be a 911 responder, but you know, I got two years and I can shut this mouth. You might know not, not know that according to this <laughs> interview, but I can listen. And I find that that's what people want the most. They need to be heard. They need to be acknowledged. They need to be seen and they need to know that there is a path forward, whether it's through retirement, through its post-career, because you've been injured and can no longer do what you're doing. But if our identity is solely dependent on what we do, then as that job changes, our self-worth changes. And to learn how to be independent of that, to be able to say, my self worth is not what I do. My self worth is based on who I am. And a lot of people don't ever make that distinction. And we're horrible in our society about, well, what do you do for a living? It's not, who are you, Catherine? Tell me about you. It's like, what do you do for a living? And when you retire, oh, I've seen this happen firsthand. You go up to somebody in a party and they're talking, and it's like, oh, what do you do? I'm retired. It's literally, check, please. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I, I got nothing to relate to you with. And it's like, excuse me. Yes, you do. We're humans. So it's, it's a fascinating experience watching this as a civilian and knowing that I have the opportunity to say things that other people can't say, to do things that agencies don't have the ability or the budget or the wherewithal or the gumption. Um, I mean, a lot of the programs that we're proposing to me are obvious, but it's a forest for the trees thing, like creating the regional childcare facilities, doing the grab and go program, helping with housing. Those are no brainers. But if you're caught in the red tape and the cycle of, yeah, our agency doesn't do that. Okay. I do.
0: No, that's amazing everything that you are doing is amazing right now and my perspective on it is you know as a as a paramedic and i've been a paramedic uh, or in ems for going on almost 20 years now is you're advocating for us and something that we push for people and we push for our patients is advocating right telling the doctor what you need not hoping that they'll give it to you but demanding it and if the doctor's not listening to you, then we're stepping in and we're advocating for you. And that's what you're doing for us. And that is huge. That is just huge, Catherine. I can't, uh, you have superseded my expectations from this interview. From the very beginning, it's been amazing. I thank you so much for what you're doing. It is my absolute pleasure and you're welcome.
1: Uh, I, You know, I, I seriously never in a million years would I have thought that I would not be Traveling the world with my husband doing other things, but the people I have met, the first responders that I've had conversations with that I know they've shared things with me, they haven't even shared with their families. Um, When they come to the ranch, I had one of them ask me, is it a burden for you to listen to this? And I said, no, because it's not my story, but it's your job to leave it here. And if we can learn to remember without reliving an experience, that's the goal. To be able to get to the point where, yeah, that happened, but I'm not reliving it. I'm not re-traumatizing myself by going through that experience. So, you know, I encourage people to come to our website, www.restorationranchcolorado.com to learn more about what we're doing. If you're interested in partnering with us and helping to open up additional facilities, I would love to talk to you. Our Valor Vacations program definitely needs additional people to step up with their vacation properties to say, hey, I'd love to be able to donate a week. And for businesses, you know what your down cycle is anyway. If your resort isn't gonna have anybody there, throw that into our program. You get the tax rate off, we get to give it to somebody. So. It's a win-win and I'm all about being collaborative about how do we help each other because you know as the the saying goes when the tide comes in all boats rise. But the most important thing is to preserve and protect our first responders and their families because without you, we don't have a chance.
0: I agree 100% on that and I just uh, another statistic to throw at you right now for, I know you deal mostly it sounds like with law enforcement, but from the EMT side, the uh, expected life cycle for a paramedic is two to three years. The, and that was something
1: I'd been made aware of because we, we do do a lot with paramedics. Um, my experience is primarily with law enforcement just because I bonded so closely with Lakewood PD. But we would love to develop those bonds and relationships with everyone. And when I heard about EMS being that short, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We need to turn that around now. And and again, to have the programs grow organically from you telling us what you need, I'm not going to sit there and try to figure out, you know, is yoga on Tuesday afternoons going to help? No. I would love to be able to say, here's a list of things that we think are good ideas. How does that parallel with what you actually need? Because again, I'm not going to throw all of the responsibility on you to come up with ah, I don't know what I need, you know, just like when people say to, to uh, somebody that's been in a, a tragic circumstance, you know, tell me what you need, I'm there. No, don't make, don't make me think about that. So I'm trying to look at what other programs are out there what is successful what does help and to be able to say hey we're happy to try this we're willing to be a pilot program for just about anything other than you know growing shrooms on our property <laughs> <laughs> you know but i mean just for somebody that might work i don't know i mean i've heard microdosing does do amazing things for some people with stress but I, again, we're willing to try almost anything and to be almost like your your laboratory to say this works, this doesn't work. Model what Restoration Ranch is doing, or help us come up with something that other people can model. Because that's really what it's all about. I'm not here to take credit. I'm not here to be you know the martyr. I'm here to say it doesn't matter who does it as long as it gets done. That's that's the
0: whole point. Well, that's amazing. And I, I Catherine, I know you have another meeting to, to get to, so I'm going to let you go. But f- yeah, I don't even, I've already told you, you've, you've blown it out of the water. This interview has been amazing. Probably my favorite one so far. Thank you. And I will look forward to coming back and being a guest in the future. And please contact
1: us so that you can come up to Restoration Ranch yourself, Sam to see what it is and and experience it because you know I have a feeling we're gonna be collaborating together on many things. I have a
0: feeling as well. I, I am very excited for the things that you have to share. So we'll get it figured out. Thank you again, Catherine, so much for coming out. I appreciate you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Before we wrap up, we have a few important announcements to share with you. Firstly, we're excited to announce the launch of our brand new 911 Nonsense Facebook group page. It's a community where everyone can go to connect, share ideas, discuss topics from the show, and get all of the most recent updates about the podcast. We'd love to have you join us and be part of the conversation. Next, we want to ask you to rate and review our podcast on your preferred platform. Your feedback means the world to us and helps us reach a wider audience. By rating and reviewing the show, you'll be supporting us in a big way and helping others discover 911 nonsense. If you enjoy what we do and would like to support the podcast even further, we have a few options available. You can visit samspursuit.com to find the links to our 911 Nonsense merch page and our recently released Noon Gear page. Every contribution, no matter the size, goes a long way in helping us continue to better the podcast. We know that not everyone is comfortable being on the podcast, but we still want to hear your stories and experiences. If you have a compelling story and would like to share it to be read by me in a future episode, please reach out to us via email at 911nonsense at gmail.com or through our website's contact section. If you choose to be anonymous, we'll make sure to respect your privacy while sharing your story in a way that resonates with our audience. Thank you again for tuning in. We truly appreciate your support and look forward to bringing you more engaging content in the future. See you next week.